1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Finelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We're back here with you today. Uh, We've got a lot of exciting content. It's about to get real in-depth. Fingers into the depth charts, um, starting to look ahead at what we've got coming up. I'm thinking about calling it some spring cleaning. You know, we're we're really going to sort of reset how we look at the college football season. That'll all be coming up over the next several weeks. Uh, Probably taking uh, some time looking at each conference, looking at each Power 5 team, some of the biggest group of five teams. So uh, make sure if this is your first time uh, listening to the Cover 3 podcast that you subscribe because we're going to have some real meat uh, to get into. But as we uh, as we continue to move ahead, uh, we've got some headlines to get through. We've got a, a final recap with Ben Kirchival looking back at the first and second round voting from that 90s mute pop songs bracket over on CBSSports.com on the college football side. Uh, but before we dive into the headlines and, and some of the big stories of the week, Barton, Tom, I do feel it's important to ask during these times, uh, how's our head? How's our soul? How are we doing right now?
1: I'm a little sad because at the time we're recording this, we're about two hours away what from what was supposed to be first pitch on the White Sox season. So mm. that's a little depressing. But other than that, I'm fine. Pardon?
2: Uh, like I said, before we got on, there are there are good days and there're bad days. I would say there there are um there are decent days and there are bad days. Uh, my yesterday was a bad day. Today is a decent day. I, and granted, all this bad and good I'm talking about is falling on my wife's shoulder, not mine, more, more or less. Yesterday, I was like – I work upstairs, and downstairs, it, it sounded like a horror movie. Just <laughs> phone-chilling screams all day long and just it, it, it just incredibly frightening. And for some reason, my kids who typically wake up at like 6.30, maybe 7 some days, are waking up right now at like 5.30. so it's it's for whatever reason, they just sniff these long days and just want to make them longer. So I'm actually my, – my schedule now is wake up at 4.30 to try to get like as much work in as possible so that I can at some point uh, – give give the my my co-pilot a little relief so long days uh quick you know quick quick sleepy time in the evening and uh find a way to steal one tiger king episode a night in as well
0: are you all right so i'm diving in tonight and I know that I'm late, but I'm fine. What, where, what were you we going? What am I worried about? Keeping up with, uh, being on time. Like, what water cooler conversation am I missing out on? Uh, are, are you?
1: Where are Tom? Are you done? No, I've got two episodes left. Okay,
0: Barton, where are you yet?
1: How many episodes are there? Six,
0: seven, I think.
1: Seven.
2: I'm. I just finished three. Chip, after the first one, I was very like underwhelmed what's the fuss about i was falling asleep during it uh you know it didn't didn't do anything for me episode two kind of turns up the heat a little bit so if it doesn't catch you on episode one stick with it because episode two is uh it starts to get a little little, little spicy
1: yeah ep- episode one is mostly just trying to give you context about the people that you're going to be learning about so that way it's not just you know Jumping at you in episode two is still a lot of context, but like Barton said, they do, they do get to start throwing little twists and spice in there. And then episode three, just <laughs> every single episode, it gets a little stranger.
0: Yeah. That's so it's just always just keep going because when you yeah. think you've got your head wrapped around it, it's, uh, It's about to get even crazier. Um, All right, taking a look at at some headlines from the week. First, transactionally, uh, we've got Deshaun Corbin, former Texas A&M running back, is going to be immediately eligible at Florida State. Uh, Corbin was... At one time, looking like he could be one of the primary ball carriers in the Aggies' backfield, but that whole group, position group, was really riddled with injuries throughout this season, and it, you know, put a lot more pressure on Kellen Mond, uh, created a lot of struggles for the Texas A&M offense. Um, I guess Barton, when you look at uh, Corbin, he's stepping into a Florida State backfield that is going to be—they've got James Blackman back. Uh, they have Tamari on Terry. there a wide receiver. Cam Akers goes pro. Do you see Corbin as being a, a, a like starters, uh, you know, 15, 20 carries a game type running back. Uh, how, how do you sort of imagine him fitting into Mike Norvell's offense?
2: I, I kind of have a, it feels like to me this will be some sort of like running back by committee type of deal. Um, and I think that that's a that's big to get that depth to get another body. You know, Mike Norvell has given a lot of different backs carries uh, through the years at Memphis. And so uh, I don't think he becomes some sort of focal point of the offense, but I definitely think that's a that's a nice get. And I, and I think it adds to I, I don't call it a hunch, maybe. And, and maybe you guys can disagree with me or correct me if. If if I'm wrong here, but it feels like. And even among as you're talking about the, the, the new York first year coaches who haven't had spring ball, like who's going to be really screwed, who's who's OK. I, I it feels like to me that that Norvell is walking into a situation that is. Decent, it's not it's not terrible. They, they do need to get an offensive line grad transfer. They they have to continue to figure out a way to make that offensive line average. But I like they've, they've got a, several quarterbacks that are options as starters. They've got guys like Tamari and Ter- Ter- Terry who uh, shrugged off the NFL draft and came back. Marvin Wilson, the same way they've got some leadership. They've got some returning experience, particularly on defense. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like Florida state might be a team that is, has a chance to be decent despite a new coach coming in with, not a lot of time am i wrong
1: i mean yeah i think that with if they get the improvements in certain areas they're fine i mean it's not i know florida state has not lived up to expectations and it's had some down years in recent years but i've never really looked at it as like a complete and total dumpster fire i think there's just some things that need to be fixed and you know you need a quarterback and an offensive line yeah just two minor things like that and you should be fine but i I do think that as far as corbin is concerned like you were saying if you just look at norvell's history it's hard to think that corbin's going to be a bell cow because 2019 was weird for memphis and norvell's offense because kenneth gainwell completely dominated carries at running back. Like, he had 231. The next highest running back on Memphis' roster was Patrick Taylor with 78. But if you go through his first three seasons, even when he had you know NFL guys like Daryl Henderson, it was very much like a committee 50-50 type split. So I think we're probably going to see that same kind of situation with Florida State going in with Corbin and then – who who are the other guys there? Uh, Kalen Laybourne, Corey Redd. Oh, yeah. Lawrence I forgot about yeah. I forgot so about
2: Kalen Layborn, and I bet Corey Wren like that. And, and Wren is very much sort of that jet sweep kind of guy. Uh, he's he'll be a true freshman. He runs like a 10, 300 meter dash. Like th- there's enough of a diversity of of players in that backfield to where I don't think they'll be tempted to just start handing the ball off to to one dude.
1: Yeah, like it's not going to be okay. You have to replace Cam Akers. It's going to be okay. All five of you dudes are replacing Cam Akers.
0: Well, I mean, certainly the 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 Cam Akers touches that we saw in the win against Syracuse. That was the full wild cam game where it was like, all right, uh no one else touches the ball <laughs> except for Cam Akers. He is going to be lining up in the backfield. He might throw a, he might hand it off, he might throw a little pass, but for the most part, we are just running the entire wild cam offense. To answer uh your your hunch, Barton, I like the the numbers i can present some the a look back at last year's season and you could think that a 10 wins isn't crazy because you know florida state had a fourth quarter lead against boise state florida state had a fourth quarter lead against a nine win virginia team florida state had a fourth quarter lead against an eight win wake forest team if Florida State closes out those 3 games instead of being 6 and 6 in the regular season they're 9 and 3. If Florida State closes out those 3 games and goes 9 and 3, then Willie Taggart probably has his job and we're maybe even talking about Florida State not necessarily as a threat to Clemson, but at least being like, all right, look at what Taggart's been able to do. Like like look at the way that they've been able to to make these improvements. They missed the bowl game the bowl season, his first year there, broke the streak. That was bad, but your response was nine and three. And so you could look at that and be like, well, well, hey, I mean, Florida State's just a couple better quarters away from being nine and three. You know, maybe ten wins is realistic. And I think that is the optimistic <clears throat> play here. I think what's dangerous, not dangerous, but I think what could be misleading about that is to it might be an over oversimplification. And if you're setting the bar for Florida State year one, Mike Norvell at nine or ten wins, then that might be setting it. And Florida State deserves to have a high bar set. And Mike Norvell would answer that. You know, he he wants to have a team that is striving to exceed expectations. But for those of us on the outside, when we're thinking about, you know, what Florida State is going to be, I think that going from uh six and six i guess they lost the bowl game so from six and seven or six and six to nine and three uh might be a little bit more difficult than than it seems when you just look at how close they were to nine and
1: three a year ago and to speak to that point for the you know if anybody cares for what it's worth with my ratings overall florida state ranked 73rd last year but i also break those things up into strength of record and strength of metrics and in strength of metrics it's pretty much measuring how a team performed not re- <clears throat> regardless of sorry my th- my voice is messed up but regardless of how they were who they were playing it just goes how they performed and so they were 73rd overall but in strength of metrics they ranked 42nd overall so that's you know a pretty significant gap that shows they were playing a lot better than their record might suggest overall
2: A little coronavirus working over there? Maybe
1: I don't know. No, I think it's just I think it's the coffee. I'm getting a little phlegmy from the sugar. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah, I I think you can't you can't um, set expectations like that. I just I wouldn't be surprised if if there if 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 Norvell shows up in the fall and is things are a little less um, desolate than maybe some folks expected.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I'm. I I say that almost to pour a little bit of cold water on myself because I'm going to be here. <laughs> uh, we're gonna be writing some pieces for CBSSports.com. I guess next week the the best possible season for all these different teams, and I'm I'm gonna say that I think the best season for Florida State that I could envision is probably a a ten and two season. I think it's realistic. I think it's absolutely in the cards. I can envision. This being uh, a st- one of the biggest stories of the 2020 season of Mike Norvell being able to get some some consistency going with the offense and being able to uh, have uh, an environment around that program that is just going to generate enough of that little extra intangible oomph that can kind of help you from having the the strong narrative be in the way that this team collapses in the fourth quarter i mean that was just that was a really really bad trend from those two years of the willie taggart era and i think that you correct that you you clean up the offensive line you get the offense going then yeah i'm i, I don't think your hunch is off i'm telling you that i'm going to be right there with you i'm going to be setting the bar way too high and i'll get freezing cold taked all the way to tallahassee after they go
1: eight and four do we have a win total on florida state not
0: Yeah. We don't have uh we do not have William Hill wind totals and I haven't seen any offshore wind totals yet, but I would sure hope that uh won't don't we normally get some offshores around May?
1: Yeah, usually around this time. Let's see. I'm gonna see if I can find some real quick here. No.
0: Okay. Um all right. We saw and uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit uh, here and you know the earlier in the week we talked about the teams that were uh, the most impacted by no spring practice because of the coronavirus outbreak and Tom Fernelli wrote a very good column sort of uh, going on and expanding on some of the discussion that we had there so be sure to go check it out on cbsports.com. Barton Simmons got out his uh, got out his little quill and he he wrote a screed, put it on a carrier pigeon. They took it up to the 24-7 sports uh, offices, and he's got a column up right now on how the coronavirus pandemic changes the recruiting game. And I I wanted to dive into that just a little bit because what we've seen across the country has been some kind of uh, interesting takes on this. You know, there's There's been the uh, Kansas did the virtual tour for junior day. Uh, Some of it was on social media. Some of it was FaceTime. We've seen coaches talk about uh, the different ways that they are using FaceTime and zoom to keep up with recruits. Uh, We saw Texas A&M this week, line up a full Madden 20 bracket challenge with prospects going head to head against coaches. And so, uh, I guess, like Barton, I'll let you take the first stab at this. As as you've started to to reach out, talk to these coaches, and and it seems like this has been a real week for everyone to sit back and say, "All right, like we can't do anything about it. The situation is what it is." I mean, let's let's pull out the old uh, the old Urban Meyer coaching cliche. I mean. E- E plus R equals O. Uh, the event and your response—that's going to be the outcome. It's what we tell them all the time. But like that's that's kind of where we are in the uh, the college football process of reckoning with the new normal. Is now it's time for innovation. Now it's time to figure out your strengths and weaknesses. And the recruiting trail is impacted just as much as anything else. So as as you started to talk to coaches. About um, you know the different ways that either creativity or, or their own strengths and weaknesses in their recruiting program have, have come to light, what are some of the what are some of the big storylines that are standing out to you? Uh,
2: I think one thing that's to, to me like the big challenge and this is I feel like the way you asked your question, I might be taking it a different direction than you anticipated but like the the challenges in this to me as much as anything are going to be the evaluation side of it. And look, I mean, like this spring, whether it's track results, whether it's combine testing, whether it's getting guys on campus and measuring them and getting their height and weight and wingspan and, and, uh, knee girth and wrist size and whatever different things you use to like determine (laughs) how big this kid's going to be like, all those things are out the window. So, the the only way to differentiate from these prospects is to dig back into the film. And all these coaches have already watched all these kids on film at this point uh, because January is is underclassman month. It's no longer, uh, you know, current class month uh, leading up to the National Signing Day. So, like, evaluations are already in, in there. Um, yes, like, there would be so 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 the change then the new data was going to be getting out on the road seeing guys in person all the testing and all the information that you can then sort of sort of separate these players with can't do that anymore and so i think a big part of it now is what what you're seeing from these coaches is there's just more time they have more time the players have more time no one's doing anything we're all everyone in the world is just sitting here at home like globally we're just all sitting at home. And so now what they're doing is just spending more time interacting with these kids. I just talked to a coach right before we hopped on this and he was saying how honestly his days are, um, he's not as productive in terms of like all the non-recruiting stuff he's doing because he's talking to three or four kids a day and it's like 30, 45 minutes a kid and um, as opposed to just these check-ins where you're keeping up on DM or Twitter and um, now the, the, the conversations have to be the differentiator they have to be you know getting to know the kids building relationships re- you know finding guys that are fits in that way uh, PJ Fleck had a quote in his his teleconference the other day about how you know now they're they're having conversations with the, the mom the dad, the uncle the brother because they're all in the house together and you don't have to coordinate work schedules you just have a conversation with everybody and sort of you know you get a feel for the family unit a little more so there's that element of recruiting that I think is 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 unique and new and then obviously there's still the creative ways the teams are trying to get out there A&M's got a I think you wrote about it Chip They're they're Madden tournaments where coaches are playing the kids on Madden um, remotely and uh, you know, Kansas is having virtual junior days and I think everyone's going to end up having some virtual tours and that sort of thing, uh, as it, as, as permitted. But to me, like, I think the, the, the way coaches are spending their time right now is just getting on the phone more than ever and, and building those relationships in that way.
1: So in other words, they have to actually talk to the players now instead of show them flashy new things.
2: Yeah, there's so many Look graphics. At our
1: cool new helmets. Ooh. Oh
2: wow. Here's your enjoy your quarantine graphic we're going to send you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I mean, is it coaches are supposed to be good communicators? I I I don't feel sorry for coaches that Not I, all I, of them are. I, I wouldn't Yeah, I
2: I don't think I was like it wouldn't I I don't think it's supposed to, I wouldn't try to present it as like poor coaches on the phone. I'm just saying that's that's now the only kind of the only way to go about this there's, you know I, there's I, not really that much else to do except for advance a new 2022 2023 like into like sophomore freshman type of of uh, evaluations
1: i what i i yeah what i was just saying is like if you're a coach who i mean typically a good recruiting or a good recruiter is a good conversationalist anyway you know because they're kind of selling you on coming to their school so they have to be able to have a conversation with you and they pay attention to what you're saying i'm saying for some of the coaches that maybe aren't great communicators now might not be the best time to have them doing much recruiting because it could be difficult for them
0: get them get those guys on the uh on the 2022 2023 cycles and get get them starting to do the uh the film work and the scout work but uh maybe yeah maybe the you mentioned the evaluation process the the you've the programs that are good evaluators and you've said this before you thought that they were going to have a little bit of an uphill battle who who are the programs on the recruiting trail that you think are are currently ahead or currently um it, more well positioned than maybe some of their competitors
2: well, so I, this is what I wrote about today for 24/7 Sports. It's sort of like where are the angles, like where where are the um, inefficiencies that you can take advantage of from a recruiting standpoint, um, and, and who's who's best equipped to do that. Um, I, I think the schools that got a quick start are obviously very like in, in great shape because the the timeline has now been shor- shortened for those guys that they had committed. Or have built really strong relationships to now go take other visits to be recruited by other programs. It's sort of everything's at a standstill now. And so those early starts are are, are the, the head starts are extended. Um, so Ohio State, number one team in the country right now, Clemson, Florida, North Carolina, great early starts. Miami has always had a good early start, but Miami is often getting those guys decommitted later in the process as they start getting out and taking visits. Um, unfortunately for those kids, it's going to be harder to take those visits. Uh, and so Miami might be able to hang on to a few more of them. So I think, you know, that that's something to watch. And then, you know, North Carolina to me is is sort of the best of all worlds because they have uh, a good fast start. But also, like, you, if, if you can capitalize, like the opportunity is there to capitalize on – in local regional talent, as opposed to the schools that typically go national, the, the, um, com- the comparison I made in my in my piece was like, look at Mario Cristobal at Oregon, like what they've done and what they continue to try to do is recruit nationally at the line of scrimmage. They, they, they crush it out west in the skill positions, but there's not a lot of big bodies out west. On the line of scrimmage So they had 10 line of scrimmage guys They recruited last year Five of them were from east of the Mississippi Four of them from southeastern conference footprints Scott Frost in Nebraska Like obviously you can't get that much skill in Nebraska um, In that region You gotta get out of the region Uh, They got 12 skill guys last year Six of them came from Florida In the 2020 class I talked to another uh, Pac-12 personnel guy Who was saying like they were uh, all geared up to make this real national push this spring and get guys on the road all over the place in the southeast to find not not skill guys but to find the big bodies uh, and so this obviously really hurts that um, that movement and so it, that that puts those all those schools at a real disadvantage so now you look at North Carolina all right it's a banner year in the state of North Carolina they've got eleven commits ten of them from the state of North Carolina like they they've built this momentum. And, and they've been able to really capitalize on, on their local prospects. But I think to to the point that you were sort of lead me on, Chip, I, I don't know who benefits from the lack of, of like the the lack of information out there. Um, but I know who's hurt by it, which is those schools that you know Matt Rule's gone. But at Baylor, Matt Rule had been incredibly focused and disciplined In terms of only taking guys that had a certain, had hit certain benchmarks from a testing speed, height, weight, athleticism perspective. Well, now to mine out those guys who have a sub 11 second 100 meter dash or 22 foot long jump or the defensive. Wait, what's a
0: second 100 meter dash? Like you run one and then you go run again? You run
1: 200 meters and they time your second 100.
2: Oh. Got it. No, I said sub eleven seconds.
0: Right. I just I thought that you I thought it was run one hundred meters and then come back and run it again.
1: Split. Yeah.
2: No, I'm saying like (laughs) like sub like eleven seconds or under in your hundred meter dash. Got it. Like Ah, that's a that's an important benchmark for like fast guys. Sorry, I'm speaking in like jargon. Um, but you know, so like, anyways, like if you if you got a a a threshold that you don't take defensive ends that run slower than four eight in the forty. How do you find those defensive ends now? So, you know, maybe the schools that never really got into that money ball type of analytics and just are like old school, we just watch the film. You know, they're not going to be out of their comfort zone. But a school that really leans on that, that you know, they may now find themselves working a little more a little, a little more blind.
0: As blind as uh, as I felt trying to think about how crazy that was that they would make a guy run hundred meters and then run it again. I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess that tests endurance, right? I mean, you, after a snap, you got to run right back and run again. So, I mean,
1: I figure like if, if you do a 400 meter dash, they could split it into hundreds, like each little split. I feel yeah. like, you could, I feel like there's information to be gleaned there.
2: There's always information to be gleaned, but I, you guys took this into a place that I, I,
1: you know, hey, maybe this is a new thing. Here's you what's know, happened: are... Chippen and I just it, we we just changed the game, bro. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right. Yeah, there there are programs that do a yeah. uh, a triple broad jump. You know, you see the broad jump in yeah. the uh, NFL draft. Some schools test for a triple broad where you just you jump three consecutive times to to sort of test that. Um, second jump ability that that's like continued explosiveness um so maybe y'all are onto something the second hundred meter
0: triple
2: triple hundreds
0: yeah i invest so much time in trying to wrap my head around this big dumb sport and then i just stumble into these holes and i'm like wait you guys do a triple broad jump testing (laughs) like that's that's next level man yeah, that's it. that's looking that's looking for uh, as much information as possible to basically get like a muscle diagram of the human body for these prospects to try and be like, all right, this is this is what we've decided. But hey, as we've seen with Matt Rule, uh, it certainly worked at Baylor. I have been, it, you know, I I kind of sold the the Matt Rule um, recruiting profile player evaluation storyline locally when people were asking for my thoughts on Matt Rule and it hasn't done me uh, m- many favors because he's basically just gone and only signed old Temple guys. Have you seen that?
2: <laughs> no. I, I, I noticed he signed, what, Robbie Anderson?
0: And P.J. Walker.
2: Oh, he did, yes. That's right, he signed <laughs> P.J. Walker too.
0: <laughs> and, and he's only getting, like, you know, other – it just it, – it looks, it, it looks a lot like somebody's like, ooh, guys, got an NFL job. Parents are out of town. You guys want to come over? So, I mean, I hope his player evaluation stuff works out. Uh, Coming up on the other side, what schools, coaches, and everyone around college football is doing to consider uh, what might happen if the fall season is continually impacted by the coronavirus public health crisis. Next. Next. The week for, okay, what about football? Because, the I mean, crazy. Two weeks ago, the conference tournaments basically get canceled in the middle of being played. Two weeks ago, this Thursday, uh, then the NCAA tournament comes shortly after it. The Masters ends up getting postponed and pushed. Uh, today is supposed to be, as Tom mentioned, opening day in Major League Baseball. That's been suspended indefinitely. You know, the questions of when the NBA might come back have now become if the NBA might come back this week. The Olympics finally announces it will postpone from 2020 to 2021. And so now with uh, the American sports calendar sort of sport by sport uh, being impacted, the one of the big conversations this week has been about college football, uh, our own Dennis Dodd uh, con- wrote a piece for CBSsports.com. Dan Walken wrote a piece on USA Today, and so um, I guess uh, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to cut into this, but I, I want to start on like the most fan basic level possible. Um, do you like? It would be all right, t- Tom. Are you considering? in your mind, uh, the idea that the college football season in some way, shape or form will not go off as scheduled as expected.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's although to be fair, for me, it's kind of like a defense mechanism where I'm preparing. Yeah. Preparing for the worst, which would be, I mean, not the worst, but relatively speaking in that maybe there's no season or it's severely altered. So I, I prepare myself mentally for that just in case that does happen. So that way, anything, you know, better than that. Hey, cool. Awesome. It only got, you know, we lost a game or two, not a big deal, but no, I think that there are good, I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but just based on what you see happening here and elsewhere, There's reason to believe that, yeah, this the season could be impacted, but there's also some maybe optimism that maybe by the time fall rolls around, we could be getting back to normal. It's just even if that's the case, all this time, quote unquote, off, we don't really know for sure how that's going to impact things and push things back. And if like, say, middle of July, early August, we get the quote unquote all clear they just start right away ramp up and get ready to play in three weeks or do they push things back anyway that's that's gonna be what is really hard to predict about this whole situation
2: yeah that's where I'm at I I, my hunch is that this there'll be some sort of an altered season like it'll be uh first two weeks of the year are squashed or something like that
1: or it it might just be conference play
2: right 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 because, hey, like think theres there's a couple ways to look at it. Like one is, where else in America is there a more ripe situation for the spread of some sort of virus than in a football locker room? Like these guys are sharing towels, they're showering together.'re not only is it like a hundred five person roster, but it's a huge support staff with wide spectrum of, of ages. And if one person gets it, everyone's going to pretty much get it. And yes, those players would likely be okay because they're all healthy, but who knows where that spreads? So like, it's, it's just, there's going to be a a, a real hesitation, I think to just say, have at it from, not from a, not from the player standpoint or the coach's standpoint, but just from a, a risk standpoint from the administration, from the, from the universities. Um, so I think there's that. And then secondarily, like whenever is this, whenever they, they, they get the green light. And when I talk to, to coaches, like, I think realistically, they're like, you know, we hope by June we can get them like, that's, that seems like the most um, reasonable possibility. And, uh, and so whenever they get them, maybe they get them by June, maybe it's later than that. What is the amount of time you're going to need to get these guys back in shape to where, not that they're in shape for a game, but to where they're even in shape for preseason camp. And I'm just talking about from like a health perspective, right. so like people don't die. So there's not like significant injuries. Like um, I think that, that, that those are the real questions that I think are going to make this a real complicated decision.
0: Doesn't that become a huge uh, – the earlier – or no, excuse me, not the earlier. The later that players arrive on campus for coached-up strength and conditioning workouts or practices or, or however the NCAA decides to mandate the, um, the, the amount of time that's allowed to be spent and the, the kind of activities that they're going to be doing – it seems to me like it becomes a, like a, a moral, I I mean, I guess a moral ethical um, health concern about trying to get these guys from zero to 60 ready to go right away for those injury reasons. And so the, the, I believe that I'm expecting um, because of that, really more than anything that I I don't know when they're going to be able to arrive, but I imagine that the, the truncated fall camp or off-season conditioning or, you know, the way that everything is going to be squeezed in to try and preserve whatever amount of the fall uh, is possible is going to be something where I would hope that the the player's health is one of the major concerns here. So, yeah, I could absolutely see uh, conference play only. I know that's been something that's mentioned by a couple of coaches and look – there, when coaches are out here and coaches are doing a lot of uh, radio hits and they've been on CBS Sports HQ and they're really reaching out, trying to communicate uh, with their fans and with recruits and everybody else. Uh, and I think that while they are mentioning a lot of possibilities, it's important to remember that I think schools and coaches and athletic directors are trying to entertain a lot of possibilities because they don't want to be blindsided. They would love yeah. to have prepared for this to be able They're to doing coach stuff. Yeah. I mean, to, to make it not that, uh, you know, they have to make a decision later. They want to be handled. They want to be handed a certain situation on when college football is going to, the college football machine is going to get up and going and they want to be able to have a plan. So, you know when they come in, they they want to be able to have a plan. What kind of schedule it's going to look like? They want to be able to have a plan. So you know, don't I don't think that you should be alarmed because that was one thing that I was a little bit concerned about. Is that the response to some of the stories from the fan side? There has been uh, a voice that has said, "Why are you playing Doomsday? You know, why why is why does it seem like a lot of college football uh, those around college football are almost." Not excited, but you know, just so enticed by the idea that the season would be impacted, to which I, I could be wrong. I don't want to speak on any other writer's motivation, but at least the reason why this is with the big topic of conversation throughout college sports right now is because they want to be prepared and they don't want to be blindsided the way they were two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> also, another thing to consider, too, let's say the season does start on time if it does very good chance they'll be playing in empty stadiums. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I I even I think that we're going to see in every sport when they finally start picking up again, odds are there's going to be empty stadiums for a little while. Like they're going to slowly implement sports back but part of that slow rollout will be like you know whatever if college football nfl football nba nhl all of them i think we're going to see empty stadiums for a little bit
0: wow i i can't see that for college football i think
1: i know it's going to be weird
0: i well i i think that if you're looking at this from the school's perspective um the 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 idea about bringing the sport back, like there's a ton of money to be made from the television aspect of this, but when you're thinking about your university community, the, the aspect of a college football game is the opposite of social distancing. It is mm-hmm. gathering more people in a small area. It is the family atmosphere. It is the reuniting of old college friends. I mean, how many small college towns would well, they always throw out the statistic where it's like, oh, the town doubles in population on football Saturdays. Like that is a spot where I would almost, I I think that I would almost rather see the I would rather see the sport. This is just my personal preference. I think I would rather see the start up of the college football season delayed than see it in empty stadiums.
1: I, I don't disagree. Like,
2: go ahead, Tom.
1: No, I was, I was saying, I don't really disagree. You go ahead. Well,
2: uh, so, 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 I am absolutely, like, I'm hopeful that this thing gets off the ground in in time and we have full stadiums and everything's rocking. But there is some, there. there's like a sociological, like, curiosity in me that would be fascinating <laughs> to see, like, what's the, what's the top uh, early week game? Like, Oregon, Ohio State, like,
1: yeah, there's some Oregon, big non-con games to start.
2: Yeah, there's some huge ones. So like Oregon, Ohio State, in just a just a totally empty, quiet stadium. In a way, like like that would be like there's no exterior. It's, it's televised, so we'll, we get to see it. But there's no uh, kind of exterior motivators within the arena. It's just you and me, quiet stadium let's see who's let's let's see who's actually got some i listen, man, i don't know why you 12. need to
0: see that haven't you watched ucla football over the last two years <laughs> that's a great point
1: that's a great point yeah, to be fair i've watched a lot of tuesday and wednesday night action so i know what football looks like in maybe
2: editor. it's yeah maybe it's just uh maybe it's just harkening back to my days of playing uh lehigh in a empty sixty five thousand seat, uh, seat yale bowl uh, on a on a misty cold day in november so maybe maybe it's just the fond memories of that
0: Um. the yeah oklahoma played ucla in an empty rose bowl in a game that carried by definition college football playoff uh implications (laughs) and uh and there was it was not a whole lot of people there and the few people that were there were wearing uh crimson as the you know as as the coaches try to take the uh a sp- response of we mentioned the innovation on the recruiting trail, you know, just trying to come up with different plans in terms of of when the players get in, um, what do you think from the player perspective is the mindset right now?
1: I would guess, considering the age of players, they're just like, "What the hell? Who cares? Let's go play." Playing
0: video games.
1: I, yeah, I mean. I don't know I, I don't think I don't know I mean I'm sure that they're okay I, well in a lot of ways <laughs> players are kind of socially distanced from the rest of the world during the season as it is like they're with each other so I'm guessing that is different for a lot of them in that they're not all together and it's just kind of like taking away their normal routines as far as going to school but I think you could say that about every student because everybody's no longer going to class everybody's no longer doing anything so I would wager that they're much like everybody else. And I would also wager that a lot of them are just like, screw it. Let's play. Who cares?
2: I, I, I'm just very curious what, um, a, when guys can get back going and, and working out again and doing seven on sevens and, and how much, if they aren't able to do, like if they're significantly limited, in how much they can do over a significant period of time, how much that will impact just the product in the fall. Like, do is it just going to be the sloppiest year of football we've ever seen or 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 is it going to be is all this just overstated like it doesn't matter as long as they get it to August and on time like they'll they'll, they'll get it all figured out
1: oh no i think it's going to be sloppy i really do
0: like uh xfl sloppy
1: maybe not quite xfl but i do think i mean like Let's I mean, look at the NFL, man, like week one and two of the NFL season with the way teams approach preseason with like so many starters not really playing at all. The NFL is really sloppy for the first two weeks of the season. And those are professionals who are training year round to get ready. It's like there's a thing about there's a huge difference between training and practice and game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that no matter what, if with all this time being taken off and the lost practice and the lost weight room and the lost all that stuff. And the lost, you know, game planning and that kind of thing. I think we're going to see some sloppy football for a few weeks. Okay, so you
2: know, one of the things, one of the things that is that's taken up when when I've talked to coaches to this point, and um, I'm talking to coaches a lot because there's nothing else for them to do but to answer my call. So like it's an easy it's an easy task <laughs> right now. And so when when I've talked to coaches, like one of the things that they're doing right now, and they all, they typically do this anyways, but that they have more time to do this right now. Which is like do the um, professional development or whatever, however you want to label it. But but watching NFL film, watching doing some advanced scouting for the season, but but spending a lot of time watching um, other people who they want to learn from, right? And so I think that there's going to be a real temptation from college coaches because they've got all this free time to to implement all these new wrinkles. And it's going to be really interesting to see that clash with the concept of like not really having maybe as much interaction with the players as they'd like to, to implement those in an effective way. Um, So like I I think it's going to be, you know, the the coaches that can kind of keep it simple um, or, or that can implement some, some new stuff in a, in an effective way I think is going to be interesting. And also like, I talked to one coach who has an experienced team, right? And so, like, he's missing most of his spring practice. And I was like, man, is this a big deal? Like, how how are you going to handle this? Or, like, are you worried about not getting a chance to meet with your players as much or whatever? And he was like, really, you know, I'm not as worried about that. Like, they'll be fine. He was like, I'm really just worried about myself. As long as I'm ready and prepared, like, I think we'll be in good shape. And, again, that's a guy that's got some experience coming back. But um, for the coaches that – uh have maybe maybe don't have that experience they spend too much time trying to get a bunch of new bells and whistles that that could that could backfire a little bit
0: so you're telling me that gus malzahn and chad morris (laughs) got a lot of time on their hands and auburn's gonna lead the sec in a legal procedure (laughs)
2: <laughs> like that's, where's where's that, the, sounds, that sounds like a very reasonable scenario
0: yeah that's where's the over under on uh illegal procedure penalties that'll get whistled officially i guess the quarterback normally gets called for that poor bo nicks personal penalty yards through the roof this year it's not your fault um all right and now uh we promised it after our last one the update on the 90s pop songs bracket next Back with Ben Kirchival as we uh, take a look at some of the results that you, you, the listeners and the readers of CBSSports.com, the Cover 3 podcast, have brought about. A reminder, the 90s pop song bracket, the voting for all of this, again, done by you, is happening on Twitter, at Cover 3 Podcast. We've finished the first two rounds as we're sitting here recording. Uh, We've got the Sweet 16 ahead Ben, we've got some – I want to – there's a couple goals here. Number one, I want to, um, you know, look back and maybe see any of our personal favorite songs that have hit the cutting room floor, that have been bounced, that will be the part of the – you know the slow part of One Shining Moment where it shows all the teams that have lost? Like, we want to know what are the songs that are going to be in that sad part and then also make some predictions going forward. But uh, but overall, Ben, like – and I want – I do want to check in just sort of with everybody that we talk to here on the show. How how are you doing uh, in, in this current uh, Corona world?
3: I'm doing okay. My fiance Sarah, you've met Sarah. I have. Uh, yeah, well, a couple years ago, we came through Raleigh. You were filling in for uh, uh, DG mm-hmm. and uh, came in, did the show. Sarah was in studio with us. We're doing okay. She's She has asthma, which like right off the bat we got to be extra careful with her right so she's not going out at all and then even on top of that she i don't want to say she has anxiety but she has just a little bit of a of a twitch <laughs> about pretty much everything so you couple that on top of a pre-existing condition on top of the fact that she likes to go out and, and you know, she obviously can't really do that much right now other than maybe going for walks around the neighborhood or a jog or something like that. We're doing hot yoga at home by live streaming our uh, our normal studio and then just turning the heat up, you know, like 95.
0: There you go. Trying to,
3: trying to get a sweat in. But, uh, you know, she's, she's handling it okay. We're handling it all right. Um, I'm making all the grocery store runs whenever we got to do it. And then I come home and it's like the, the thing where they, they like spray you down, you know, you got to turn around and stuff. That's basically been our lives, but you need to be D de- you there, need
0: to be deloused, loused. Basically.
3: Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. How, how are you all doing? I mean, it's not terribly different from us because we, we work from home, but there can be a new dynamic when suddenly you're working from home with like in my case, my fiance and with in your case with your spouse.
0: Yeah, I uh you know, have I've 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 probably surprised some people at uh, how how comfortable I am being able to stay put. And I just figured that it's like, yeah, well if you consider the the football weekend that we do from home, especially if you've got one of those Sunday duties, whether it's the AP coaches poll or the afternoon wait to see if somebody gets fired duty, like the the responsibilities that we have working on a weekend, do provide many seventy two hour windows where I might not leave at all, <laughs> even if it's like everyone's healthy and it's nice outside. So it I I've got like those kind of windows then, then like today, uh, today it's finally not raining here, uh, in Raleigh. And so I'll get out and I'll be doing a little bit of walking around the neighborhood, no doubt, but I'm, I'm built for this man. I'm built for that quarantine life.
3: Yeah. She, Sarah goes, how do you do this? I was like, honey, I have been conditioned for 10 years to do this. I, and I'll get those Friday night through Sunday morning shifts. Right. So I'll have a real, tr- true 48-hour window where I'm just going. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, some of this stuff is is a little bit easier for me. I will say, though, uh, I've gone back through and, and I've just been crushing Halo again. I mean, just absolutely blasting through. Nice. Some covenant scum. <laughs>
0: and even getting emotionally involved, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, even getting emotionally involved
0: all right let's uh now you'll remember we we tried to make some of our calls we tried to predict how things were going to break out uh, as as you went along the way uh I'll start by just reading the sweet 16 then we'll sort of go region by region uh it, from the radio region uh 16 umbop as predicted did make a run to the sweet 16 uh they umbop will be facing one of Tlc's multiple sweet 16 nominations creep. Uh, in one of those two regional semifinals. Then we've got I swear three seed going up against boys to men's all for one. I swear going up against boys to men's on bended knee, a seven seed. The CD region are uh, one of the, the only one seed still around is Whitney's. I will always love you going up against Blackstreet's No diggity a 12 seed in one regional semifinal Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. Uh, Going up against Christina Aguilera, uh, that is a 10 seed. This is how we do it. A six seed in the other regional semifinal. The Cassette region um, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. The 16 seed, Gangsters Paradise, Coolio going up against TLC's No Scrub, a 13 seed. TLC also represented by Waterfalls, a six seed. And Wright said, Fred's I'm Too Sexy, a 15 seed making it all the way to the Sweet 16. That would be uh and i guess all these 16 seeds have already broken all the ncaa tournament rules never mind uh, another 16 seed biggies hypnotized going up against bone thugs the crossroads in one regional semifinal and then sort of the the little bit of blue bloods that we've got left is in the the bottom of the mp3 region as carlos Santana and rob thomas's smooth goes up against crisscross's jump so, uh I guess let's uh let's start by taking a little bit of a look back. Were there any uh, number one uh songs that you're sad to see got cut?
3: Overall probably not and I wrote this in the piece that's going to be published later on on Wednesday is even you know, the the fat has been cut. There's nothing in here that I feel really should have been um, in here over something else. I feel like overall Merit probably won out. Uh, The only song that on just on a personal level that I was just sort of disappointed um, was Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton. But I don't, I I wouldn't have voted it over. This is how we do it. Right. Like I was sad to see it go, but I wasn't going to say it's a better song then this is how we do it. That was just more of a, of a personal thing for me. The sign, ace of base, but again, you're going up against jump by Criss Cross. Yes. I mean, the sign's a banger, but I mean, I'm not mad that Criss Cross advanced. So overall, again, I, I feel like you have a bunch of these lower seeds, 11 to the 16 are like six seeds or lower. But to me, the whole idea of staying power there was staying power in the number of weeks that you were number one on the billboard hot 100. And then there's staying power in terms of what you would still listen to 20, 30 years later. And when I look at the sweet 16, I go, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Right. You can, you might be able to take one of the 16 and say that you might have a personal favorite to sub in there, but then you go back and you look at, uh, you know, the, the bracket and how it laid out and the path there and it's it's really difficult. Now there is uh there is one and I let's see it's going to be down in the cassette region that I wanted to uh turn our attention to. So, hey how seriously are we taking the uh how how seriously are we taking I'm too sexy right said Fred? Because we talked about the ironic path to uh 90s pop music bracket championship and and wondering you know especially with this vote being on twitter whether the sort of ironic voting would carry some kind of weight do you do you see that as being i'm too sexy's path because i look at the 16 and that would be one that i'd feel comfortable bouncing but it went up against can't nobody hold me down by puffy and puffy as we've uh as we talked about before you know like is in the field for sure, but I mean, not surprising to see a couple of early exits.
3: Yeah, so there are in my mind three of what we would call the the ironic votes. Okay. Okay, so there's right said Fred, and they're all and they're seated very differently. Uh, right said Fred, smooth, mm-hmm. which is a, another one. Yep. That we, you know, Are, are they going to sort of get bounced here when they finally face something that's actually got some some merit and some? sort of umph behind it. And to a lesser extent, oombop. So I just, I kind of wonder if those three were voted on ironically. Of those three, Right Said Friends, iTunes 60, that is the one that stands out the most. And if you look at the voting from the second round, 53% to 47% of against uh, Puff Daddy, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, which is not like an amazing song. So to me, the fact that it barely won Indicates to me that its day of reckoning is probably coming because it's going up against who are we going up against here? Uh Waterfalls. That was that's a six seed from TLC, but that was TLC's biggest hit. If you know one song from TLC and they have three songs in the Sweet 16, it's gonna be Waterfalls. So I'm thinking right side Fred's days are are pretty numbered here. Uh, and I think you'll—I would guess that two or, or of the three kind of ironic votes, uh, ironic songs that have made it this far. I think at least two of them are getting the axe this round. And right, said Fred's gonna be one of them.
0: Yeah, the um, "Can't Nobody Hold Me Down" uh, sample of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fives—the message. Uh, his other puffy's other one in here and it you know and of course he does get some producer credit he does get producer credit for hypnotized so i don't want this to be uh, a puffy a puffy slam sesh but you know <laughs> lifting lifting from the police for one from grandmaster yeah. flash and the furious five for another uh so you know it's it, you're, you're gonna I, i'm with you and it's just like creep and waterfalls are potentially it's, it's going to be TLC just sort of correcting the, like you cannot, even in the ironic voting, I don't know if you're going to be able to uh, take down the power of TLC in this bracket, the way that we've seen it happen so far.
3: And I liken this a little bit to the actual tournament where first weekend, that's when your madness happens. That's when you get a lot of your buzzer beaters. And some of it is just the numbers game, but you get a lot of your buzzer beaters you get the really big upsets, you get the early exits, all the things you do. And then by like Sweet 16, Elite 8, there are a couple of exceptions every year. But for the most part, the pendulum kind of swings back right. in the other way. And there's a little bit of a correction here. And I think in some ways you're going to kind of see that with, with, with this. as you, You're going to get some of those that made it past the first weekend because – Look, I mean, there's 64 songs, and I'll be honest, there are not a lot of songs that I love in that 64 team, you know, bracket. But once you get down to about the Sweet 16, you're going, okay, there's some real jams here, and if 13 or 14 are actual jams and then another two are just kind of, oh, they sort of made it out because they're a meme, I think you'll see those kind of go by the wayside here pretty
0: quick. If this was a now, that's what I call music compilation CD. It'd be pretty good.
3: Yeah. Just looking at it, you know, up yeah. and down. I call music two hundred and fifty. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: Um, all right. Well,
0: let's let's start to take a look at the uh, the matchups going forward and 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 make some predictions. All right, in the radio region, Mbop Bop going up against Creep, and I swear going up against On Bended Knee. Uh, I, you know, unin I don't know the remember the seating was scientific, so that none of this was intentional, but we've got, you know, two radio jams and we've got two capital B ballads. Uh, mm-hmm. how do you think it's going to play out in the radio region?
3: So first of all, I call, uh, Hanson, I call him UMBC for the, <laughs> they were the, with extra Ms. yeah overall seats. So UMBC This one's hard for me because of of the three TLC songs, Creep is my favorite. Right. So I have a little bit of a bias towards Creep. I think Creep prevails, but I think it's going to be really close. This is going to be one of those, I I think it's really going to be like a 51, 52 percenter in terms of of who wins. Uh, I swear versus on Bended Knee. You know, powerhouses have not been doing great in this bracket. Mariah Carey bounced in the first weekend boys to men got one song left and on bended knee is good but i swear i think is a better song mm.
0: so
3: i think i swear actually wins pretty comfortably here all
0: right so what about in the if it's creep versus i swear
3: i probably go i swear is that it's personal
0: not, preference i mean it's, it's i mean the it's in the hands of the listeners so like yeah. it's it's up to y'all but your vote would be i swear
3: it would probably be, I swear, and I'm talking by the skin of the teeth, All right. I mean, the absolute thinnest of margins.
0: Uh, uh, in the CD region, uh, number one, one seed, Whitney. I will always love you. Going up against the 12 seed, Black Streets No diggity. Uh Montel Jordan, the six seed. This is how we do it. Against 10 seed, Genie in a Bottle. And this, this to me, I, I look at it, and it is Whitney versus the world. This is like when Kentucky shows up to a a Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight region that's based in Atlanta, where yep. you know, like, there's no guarantee that Kentucky's gonna win. But you look around the arena, and all Kentucky's fans are gonna be in the house. There is so much power, not only behind the song, not only behind Whitney Houston, but especially. Uh, after her passing sort of just in memoriam a lot of just cultural capital and cultural power behind Whitney and uh, and her most iconic song so do you think that I will always love you is going to escape and make it to the final four
3: I'm going with Montel Jordan yeah I'm thinking succeed Montel Jordan pulls a little bit of like a South Carolina from a couple years ago gets hot makes it run because this is how we do it is it's bonafide. Yeah. It's a, it's a jam. Yeah. And I think you're going to get, now I think I will always love you gets past new diggity. And I think this is how we do it. Probably beats genie in a bottle with some margin. I think, I mean, this is a good song, but I think this is how we do it, is, is far superior. So I think you're going to get a CD regional final that, you know how every year there's like a regional final, and people go, this should have been a Final Four matchup. Or, yeah. This should have been a- yeah, I think this is that that matchup. I'm gonna take Montel Jordan because I think they're getting hot. But it would not surprise me if Whitney comes out of that. But so that that's, I'm gonna go with this is how we do it. But it is this is I think CD region was my favorite region. This was the like this was the hard region for me.
0: Uh genie in a bottle. Uh definitely like the, the breakthrough sort of came out, like was the, the first single, but if we're ranking them from, I think, and I'm pretty sure this was still on the first album. I really lean more to come on over. Yeah. It's a matter of personal preference. Are you,
3: yeah. are you I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Christina X Tina, as she's known. Right. Uh, yeah. She's coming over with, yeah. Come on over was a good one. I mean, she's, I just, that first album was really good. And she, I think, Come On Over edges genie in a Bottle just by a little bit. But I feel like genie in a Bottle has just got that extra little snap of nostalgia oh, to yeah. it. But I don't think it's enough to upend this now we do it.
0: Um, I mean, genie in a Bottle, you got to rub me the right way, honey. The innuendo is just too much.
3: It's pretty blatant. It's pretty blatant. <laughs> pretty blatant. I mean, she, like I said, she was ex Tina later. Like she took off the veil entirely. Right. In the two thousands. But that first one, you're like, okay, there's a little bit of, there's a little hint of something. Yeah. You know, yeah. A little, little preview of some of what's to come. And, uh, look, she, she flaunted it. It was fine. Good for her
0: um the in the cassette region we've got Gangsters paradise the 16 seed going up against the 13 seed no scrubs uh the six seed waterfalls going up against as we mentioned the 15 seed i'm too sexy will it be a tlc on tlc elite eight
3: i want it to be but i think the odds are stacked against it no scrubs is probably their their worst number one hit and gangsta's paradise is a banger yeah it is i don't care that it's a, I don't care that it's a 16 seed it's underseated. It's underappreciated. That was an awesome song. Because only look, only one of these got a weird owl parody. And it's not, it's not no scrubs. So I'm gonna go, I think it's Gangsters Paradise making it to the regional final. I will say Waterfalls gets out of it though. So I think we come close to a TLC regional final, but I don't think we get there quite.
0: What is the Weird Al uh what is the Weird Al version of that?
3: Amish Paradise.
0: Oh man. Okay. All right.
3: I, just for, just for like prosperity's sake, I I I went back and listened to it the other day, and it was uh, it's pretty terrible. I thought maybe, oh, because I remember when I was a kid. Oh yeah, Weird Al did it, and it was kind of funny. And I went back and listened. To it. I was like, oh man, this is cringe. Uh think, if I remember history correctly, I don't think Coolio was super okay with it. Mm. Like, I don't think he really enjoyed being parodied. And I go back and I listen to it and I go, I get it now. Because Coolio had this amazing song, and Weird Al just smeared a whole bunch of crap over it. And that was... So I get it.
0: And not to be... uh, Not to be Larry the Liner Notes nerd, but I do think that a lot of the coolio the power of coolio's song while he did it what the intro lyrics like as i walked through the vet like yes he right. he crushed it right from the beginning like that's the reason why it was the number one song that's the reason why it was a smash but i mean that's a really good uh really good stevie wonder sample song pastime paradise from songs in the key of life yeah just look right there from it. I mean, look just, at you. I mean,
3: you just pull, yeah, you know your stuff.
0: Yeah. I I'm, I'm more in tune with the songs of the, the seventies that the nineties were lifting from. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I uh, mean, all right. So, and then in the MP3 region, we've got the question, will, is it a hot one? Will Rob Thomas and, and Carlos Santana reach the final four? They'll have, uh, in the other side, other regional semifinal, again, notorious BIG hypnotize, and going up against Bone Thugs, the Crossroads, then Smooth is going up against Crisscross. Jump will Crisscross come save us?
3: I hope so. <laughs> I really do. But you know what? I was going back through and looking. I, you know, with Right Side Fred, they barely won the second round. Do so you think? Okay. You know that was, they they were going up against competition that they could beat, but they weren't exactly blowing them out. Smooth was getting votes. And so again, it's up to the people. I'm just, I'm merely the person who shares the results. People must love Santana and Rob Thomas because they're getting the votes. Now, I think Criss Cross will win, but I'm not super convinced it's going to be, you know, a, a blowout or anything. I think Smooth gets its fair share of votes. And if you want to talk about another matchup that even though the seating is totally out of whack another one of those sweet 16 matchups that you go man that really could have been a final four matchup hypnotizing crossroads Mm -hmm. i mean that's another one that it's just where you run into them in the tournament and that to me is an elite eight final four type of, of matchup and i don't honestly i don't know who's gonna win because i think you know, we've been making our cases for one over the other based on personal preference. I I don't know that there's one that I love and hypnotize in the crossroads one over the other.
0: Mm. Who's All right. So if you've got to make a call, who's going to win it all?
3: Win the whole thing or just win the region?
0: The whole thing.
3: The whole thing. You know what? I've been, stick, I've been riding. This is how we do it. I mean, if I'm just going to stick to my, my guns and my convictions, I mean, I, I feel like this is how we do it. I think I'm going to go with a 60. Mm-hmm. Watch it lose now to Genie in a Bottle, but that's that's my pick. What do you got?
0: I think that uh, – I think Whitney might be able to take this.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I will always love you. Yeah,
3: just, and I know, she's got, I know she's got just the voice. Right. Like, there's, yeah. never, there's never going to be another Whitney. But – You think people are going to go with the slower ballad? I mean, you think that's really going to be the one that wins out? I felt, I always felt like, because you had the ballads and they had kind of the upbeat ones. And I just always felt maybe this was misguided, but that people were, if it came down to brass tacks, they were going to go for the one. The jams,
0: the ones that make you feel good. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Yeah, I get, I'm going for the goosebumps, basically. The way that my hair stands on its end on the back of my neck when that, and that big old, just echoey drum just hits.
3: Like 90s mom date night energy. I get
0: it. Yeah, you got it. That's, that's, it's been been spending a lot of time getting cozy at home. That's where we're at.
3: (laughs) Pour a bottle of wine yeah and put
0: Whitney on, yeah. yeah absolutely uh ben thank you so much uh we appreciate this and we of course will uh we'll be back in touch with uh with with more football football talk football. soon uh you can follow him on twitter at ben kerchival ben and oh yes and vote go 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 vote 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 you can do so at Covered three podcast ben thanks dude thank you our thanks to Ben Kerchival for uh, for chiming in on that. Remember, you can go vote at Cover3Podcast for the latest matchup. Advance the pop song from the 90s that you want on into the championship. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fanelli, You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.